I want to give a special welcome to everyone who still has an old school alarm clock and forgot to set it forward. Uh, glad you're here. You missed the nine o'clock. It was great, but we're glad you're here. Hey, my name's Scott, and uh, one of the pastors here, and this is week four of our series called Overcoming, and what we're doing in this series is we're helping you figure out how to overcome the things that overcome you, because I know in life there are things that beat us down, and how in the world do we beat them? We're going to talk about that today. Uh, We're going to take communion at the end of the service. We'll explain that if you don't know what that is at the end of the service. But we always read a passage of scripture. For this series, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, one of the letters in the New Testament. I'd invite you to stand with me if you would. That's our practice around here. And we're going to read this out loud. Now, this is part two of of, uh, this passage, this portion of the passage that we began last week. So I'm going to have you read this out loud with me. You ready? Here we go. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Like I said, uh, like Reed said this morning, uh, it's PG-13. I'm really not that edgy. You'll see in a minute. I'm not edgy. I'm just a dork, so (laughs) I'm just glad you're here. Um, But we're talking uh, about how to overcome, and if you're going to overcome, you're going to need to know how. And so what we've been doing in this series is laying out the path for how you overcome. And so we said it starts with you adopting the mindset that says the hashtag of my life is going to be I shall overcome. So you have to decide somewhere in your mind and in your heart that this is going to be the flag that you plant uh, on your life. It's kind of like what Winston Churchill told England in World War II when they were fighting. And he said it like this. He said, never, no, never, no, never give up. And you have to to decide, you have to make a fundamental decision that this is going to be the banner over my life is that I shall overcome with the help of God and a few friends. I'm going to do that. And then what we've been saying is that there are three things that every person who overcomes always does. Uh, We talked about that it it starts with thinking about better things, and we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago, and I'm actually still getting responses on that. That week, I I made a promise to you. I said, if you put this into practice, this can be life-changing, and I'm actually still getting responses from people. Not that I talked about that, but they're putting that into practice, and they're telling me, this is actually changing my life. Uh, In fact, Paul said it like this to the Christians in Corinth. He said, now we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. I'd never thought this before, but as I was preparing for the message, I thought about this. Have you ever thought, what what were the things that Jesus thought about? What was his thought life like? I know what my thought life's like. You know what yours is like. What was Jesus' thought? I mean, to get the kind of human being that Jesus was, fully God, fully man, what did he think about? Now, I, I think Jesus did have fleeting thoughts about worry and resentment and get somebody back and I'm going to pay someone back and revenge. And, 
all those kinds of things that you and I wrestle with on a regular basis. I just don't think Jesus dwelt on those things like we tend to. Martin Luther had a, a saying, he said, a, a bird can fly over your head, but that doesn't mean you have to let it build a nest in your hair. In other words, the, the thought about getting someone back for what they've done to you can be a thought that flies over your head, but you don't have to let it land and build a nest in your hair. And Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. You could have the same kind of thought life that Jesus has. Now, that would be powerful. That alone. And then how, will you do, how would you do that? Well, he tells the Corinthians later, he says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. In other words, you take those thoughts of worry and you take those thoughts of, of uh, anger and you take those thoughts of fear and anxiety and you wrestle them to the ground and you say, I'm not going to let it win. You think about better things. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, uh, is what we're talking about, part two of this second thing, is you have to take off bad things. Now, we're going to talk about what you put on next week, okay? So I don't want you to walk out of here because this is, this is going to kind of be like surgery today. And next week's about the healing and the suturing, okay? So just give me that warning right now. But you've got to take off the bad things. You take off the bad fitting things. And, and really what we're talking about is how to overcome sin. And last week we talked about how sin is the human problem. It's my problem. It's your problem. It's your boss's problem. It's your coworker's problem. It's your kid's problem. You knew it was your kid's problem. And students, you know it's your parent's problem, right? It's your problem. It's the human problem. The human problem is sin. And if you want the hashtag of your life to be, I shall overcome, one of the things you're going to have to learn to overcome is how to overcome sin. So here's what Paul says to us. He says, so put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Now, I have some thoughts about that when I read that. And I have questions like, okay, well, how in the world do you do that? And do you even want to do that? Because you may say, I don't want to change what I do, what I feel, and how I act. So we're going to talk practically about that, and uh, I'm going to give you an attitude and an outlook that you'll need to adopt if you're going to overcome sin. Now listen, we're going to go through this list that Paul gave to us in Colossians 3, sexual immorality and impure thoughts and lust and anger and rage. We're going to walk through these. This is why it's PG-13. Uh, but you've got to have in your brain, you've got two caveats about that, or you will not hear what Paul says here as good news, and you'll walk out feeling defeated today. And I want you to walk out of here not defeated, but I can overcome that. And you've got to have these two, these two awarenesses in your brain. Number one, this list that Paul gives us, he's telling us about things that are, that, that are our enemy and will overcome us and beat us down. So you have to see these things in this list not as friends or sources of comfort, but as enemies that are taking life from you. You have to see it that way. And the second thing is that you have to say, okay, because Paul's writing here to Christians, uh, he's saying th there was an old you, and then you met the love of God. And then you began to follow Jesus. And now there's a new you that God is building and growing. And so you have to say, these are the things that are the enemy of the old you. And that's, you don't have to do those things anymore. And we're going to talk really practically about how, how in the world that you can do that. Now I'm going to give you one attitude, one outlook uh, that really is, if you walk away with anything, I hope you walk away with this and you walk out today saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to overcome sin. This is how I'm going to, this is how God's going to help me to win. And with the help of a few friends. Uh, and, and then I'm going to give you four things that are really, uh, if that one thing is the peg, these are the four things that hang on the peg. But here's, here's the attitude, here's the outlook that you're going to have to adopt, and you might want to write this down, uh, if you're going to overcome sin. You have to adopt the attitude and the outlook of a warrior. You have to think like a warrior. You have to think like a warrior. When I was a kid uh, growing up in, I uh, used to go to 
church on Sundays with my family, and uh, we had kids' church. We have kind of like what I experienced as a kid, kind of on steroids for our kids on a Sunday morning. Uh, but we, we'd sing songs, and there's, this was pre-video and all that kind of stuff, right? So we had songs we would sing, and all these little silly songs. And if you grew up in church, you might recognize some of these songs. We, sang, we used to sing, my favorite was this song about David and Goliath. And one little boy named David, one little stone. I can't remember the words, but I remember the tune, right? You fall down, and we'd, you know, we'd be crazy. But one of my other favorites was this song. I'm going to sing it for you. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm edgy like that, like Reed said. And uh, I'm going to sing it for you, but this is how it went. It went, it went like this. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. And then this was my favorite part. I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. And then it would repeat, and I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> but I, I, had that, I had this early put into me that I had to have a different kind of mentality about myself. And I had to say that I'm a warrior. I'm in an army. I got a battle I've got to fight. And you have to adopt that kind of attitude. You have to say, I'm in, I'm in the Lord's army. I'm going to begin to think like a warrior and have that attitude and that outlook. In fact, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, listen, I don't, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I don't, I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. I beat my body and make it my slave so after I've preached to others, I, might, I myself won't be disqualified for the prize. What's, what's Paul saying? He's saying, listen, the right information is not what God is looking for. God's not, God doesn't have a Scantron theology and Bible test that he's going to grade you on. That's not what God's looking at. That's not what God's examining. God's examining how you live. God's and use this metaphor, God's examining how you fight. A soldier isn't tested in the classroom. A soldier is tested on the battlefield. That's where, that's where the test comes. And so the, the, a warrior says, even if I lose this particular battle, I'm going to win the war. You've got to adopt that mentality, that outlook, that understanding about yourself if you're going to overcome sin. Now let me give you four things that a, 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 the mentality of a warrior, how to think like a warrior. Here's the first thing. The first thing a warrior does is a warrior knows what they're fighting for instead of worrying about what they're going to lose. Right? The, the guy that loses in the battle is the guy that goes and he's worried about what he's going to protect. And so he, he doesn't fight with a whole heart. He's worried about what he's going to lose. The guy that wins is the guy that goes in and has nothing. It's like Braveheart, right? A little older movie. But Mel Gibson, nothing to lose in that when he paints himself blue. Right? Nothing. Nothing at all. You have to adopt that mentality. In fact, Paul... Uh, says it earlier in Colossians, he tells him, he says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. In other words, you had in your brain that God was the enemy. Uh, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Here's, here's what you're fighting for. To present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. How would you like to feel like no one can accuse you of anything? Now, if you don't have in your brain that what God is trying to do is make you a holy person, and, and you are always worried about what you're going to lose, and you're worried that, man, I'm going to miss out on some fun if I give up all these things, uh, you, you're not understanding where God wants to take you. Now, let me reframe that word holy, okay? Put the word whole in there. Complete. A human being in full. Like, this is what God wants to do. And, and listen, the holiest people I know are also the happiest people I know, and they would tell you they're not missing a single thing. 
Right? You've got you to know what you're fighting for. Then this is the second thing, uh, what a warrior does. A warrior prepares for the battles that they'll fight. This is a warrior mentality. You've got to know what the battles you're going in. And so you get ready for them, and you gear yourself up for them, and you know it's going to happen. So when it happens, that you're not surprised. And so to get ready for it, what you do is you take off the things that don't fit. You wouldn't go into battle wearing house slippers and sweatpants. Right? You wouldn't go into battle uh, wearing overalls unless you were from West Virginia. Right? You, sorry for the West Virginians, right? It's a beautiful state, right? Sorry, Bob Burton. He's back there in West Virginia. Uh, when, the, when the warrior goes to get outfitted with, the, with this battle gear and it's two sizes too small and it's too tight and it's constricting, the warrior doesn't go, I'll be fine, I'll be all right. Or if it's too big and it's swimming and it, and it keeps you uh, constricted and you can't move right, you, you take off the things that don't fit right and you get rid of them because you're preparing for the battle that you're going to fight. So now let me, this is what, when Paul gives us these lists, he's telling us the battles that we're going to fight. Now I'm going to give you a warning as I go through this list, it may feel like you got knifed. And it's not going to be pretty, but I, I want to assure you that these are surgeon's cuts by the Holy Spirit, not a knife attack, okay? So we're going to walk through this, and you're going to go, oh, uh, on the other side of it, and, and even more next week, we're going to talk about what you put on. So Paul, Paul goes even further than taking, uh, taking something off, and he says, listen, there's some things you need to actually kill. You need to just be done with them. And you need to say, I'm no longer participating in those things. And he gives us this list. He starts out with this list about what we do with our body. And he's basically saying, and the whole, whole tenor of the Bible is that your body matters. And what you do with your body matters. And what you, how you treat your body matters. And how you treat other people's bodies matter. And how you treat your own body with respect and other people's bodies with respect. That all matters. That's all important. And so he gives this list of ways that we hurt other people's bodies. Because this list, as I go through it, you're going to go, it's not that big a deal. Come on. Why are you getting so worked up about this? Why does the Bible have these problems? Well, it's because we always just think about it in terms of how it affects us. Well, I do that, and I'm not hurt, and I'm fine. And we don't ever think about how someone else gets hurt by these things. So I, I'm not going to argue with you about these. I just want to put a face on these things so that you see how you can be hurt, how people are hurt through all of these things. And I, I really want to make them distasteful to you because they're distasteful to God. So the first thing he says is that you've got to put to death sexual immorality. The, word, the Greek word there is porneia. You see the root word, right? Uh, the word is kind of a bucket list word and, uh, in the New Testament. And what it means is uh, any sexual relationship outside the bounds of a man and a woman in a covenantal uh, marriage. Like anything else outside that is in the category of sexual immorality. Name it, it's in that category. In fact, the word for uh, a prostitute in that day was porne. And so it's this bucket list. And now I, I, I got to say this because the Bible is actually very positive on sex all the way through it. It's, it but it's like fire. Like in the right context, fire is fantastic. In the wrong context, fire will disfigure you for life or kill you. Right? So he's talking about these kinds of things. And he's talking about what promotes uh, human flourishing. Later today, I'll post a blog I wrote about a year ago on five reasons to save sex for marriage. And I'll, I'll post that, and you can read that if that helps you. And if it, you want to argue with me on there, go right ahead. But here, let me give you a face, okay? Let me give you a face on sexual immorality, because we, do, we go, ah, you know, that's, that's puritanical, that's old-fashioned, that's blah, blah, blah. You, you may say, well, I can do whatever I want in the privacy of my bedroom, and no one can tell me what to do. Okay. What you don't see is the kid 
who has to pick themselves up for the rest of their life from their parents' divorce because mom or dad decided to have an affair and then leave. See, that's the face on sexual immorality. See, someone gets hurt. It's not just something two people do in the privacy of their bedroom. This has ramifications. Then he goes on and he says, get rid of, uh, kill impurity and lust. These are it's kind of a, a bucket term. It just means the dark motives that we have inside of us that wants to use someone else sexually. Now, frankly, this is America on sex, right? See, we just assume that other people are objects for our pleasure and that we can use them however we want. Some people have called it the pornification of America and they've just normalized any kind of sexual expression. There's a website called fightthenewdrug.org, fightthenewdrug.org. That, that basically they say this is a new drug. In fact, they show all these re this research about how the pleasure centers of the brain when you're an addict and you're addicted to a substance are the same pleasure centers of the brain that you touch with pornography. When you look at it over and over again repeatedly is that you need a bigger hit. And it's just like any addiction, you need a bigger hit. And you need a little bit more until it gets really dark. Uh, and, and these are the kinds of things that you have to wrestle with. And what happens when, when this is, we, we go, like, people are objects for my pleasure and make me feel good. It distorts how, how we see other people, and they become objects, and they stop being human beings. Now, this is, I'm going to read something to you that's uncomfortable on, on that fightthenewdrug.org. Uh, they interviewed some women who were in the porn industry and who got out, and I'm going to read you a couple of things that they said. Here's what one woman said who got out. You're viewed as an object and not as a human with a spirit. People do drugs because they can't deal with the way they're being treated. 75% of porn performers in Rising are using dr drugs and they, because they have to numb themselves. There are specific doctors in the industry that if you go uh, in for a common cold, they'll give you Vicodin, anything you want, because all they care about is the money. You are a number. Now, this is, this is ugly. You're bruised, you have black eyes, you're ripped, you're torn, you have your insides coming out. Listen, if in any way you are for human rights, and I hope you are, even if you're not religious, that you want respect and dignity for human beings to flourish across the world because you think that's best for human beings, I hope you're also against porn because it's not, it's not this like thing that just people just do is no big deal and you make fun of it in sitcoms and movies and people talk about it and post on Facebook like, yeah, yeah, no big deal. It's just experimenting. No, it's not, like, it's not the case. The face you have to see are the people who are abused by this. And the people who are hurt by this, and it's the, it's the generation of kids, uh, they, they've said that, that there are kids who've grown up now because of smartphones and computers, uh, that that's all they've ever known, especially guys. And a couple states have declared a public health crisis because um, young men don't want to get married and have children because they can't be physically aroused by a real human being. All they know is an image on a screen. That's the face of this. It's not just this harmless thing that doesn't hurt anybody. And then, then he goes on and he says, evil desires. This is, uh, this is another, it's like the, all the, the Fifty Shades movies and child porn. And the face I wish I could put on that for you is human trafficking. See, there's a hunger for this thing that people find they can make money on. And so they take girls who run away and they go to malls and they, uh, not, not every girl, they find the girl that is, has low self-esteem and they take her and then they turn her into a slave. This is what one of the other people, one of the other women who came out of the industry said, I got the bleep kicked out of me. Most of the girls start crying because they're hurting so bad I couldn't breathe. I was being hit and choked. 
I was really upset, and they didn't stop. They kept filming. I asked them to turn the camera off, and they kept going. See, that's a face. I mean, you see how ugly this is? How, how this does not promote human flourishing. This is not just someone feeling better. There's consequences to this. And then Paul says, uh, greed, which he's, he ties in the, the need for more money, and he says that's idolatry. It's like the same thing. You're using people to get what you want. And he says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, I talked about, if you didn't weren't here last week, and you can go get a different understanding of that if you go listen to the message from last week. But here, here's his point, is you may be entertained, but people are destroyed by this. And because God excludes anything that would, that would help you, then he's going to destroy that in so, at some point in some time. So why not get rid of it now? Why not be done with it now? See, that's, that's the old you. That's, that's not the new you. I, and I told you this would cut, right? I just check in. How you, how you doing? Because Paul, then he goes, he, goes one, he goes one level deeper. And he talks about the body. He says, kill those things. He said, but then he talks about our emotions. And, and Paul's not saying these emotions, that emotions are bad. He's saying, when you live your life, letting your emotions determine the direction of your life, you're bad. I, I've said this to you before. Emotions are great feedback, but they're a terrible rudder. And Paul's saying, don't let your emotions be the rudder that drives your life. And so he goes through this list of things uh, and, and says, listen, like anger, and I, the face I want to put on it is how you feel when someone does this to you. But, but anger, so you feel justified in expressing your anger. In fact, James, in his letter in the New Testament, he says, man's anger, people's anger, does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Because we think when we're angry, we feel self-righteous. I'm justified, and that person shouldn't do that, and I'm angry at them. That's nothing wrong with the emotion of anger, but then what, what happens is we take it out on someone, and Paul says it'd just be better if you could figure out how to not use anger as the tool to get what you want. Uh, so how does it, let me put a face on it for you. How does it feel when you find out someone's angry at you? Then Paul goes, uh, he says, so rage. So get rid, of, get rid of rage. And rage is nurtured anger. It's not that you get angry. It's that you've now become an angry person. And you have, you're the short fuse that explodes on people. This is usually guys more than women. I'm not saying women don't struggle with this. But you're the blow-up guy, and there are holes in walls because of you. And how does it feel when someone is abusive toward you like that? How does that feel? Then Paul goes on. He says, get rid of malice. Malice is uh, hostility, or it's deep dislike for someone, or it's a hateful feeling that you nurture. Uh, the, the ancient Greek philosopher Thucydides, he said uh, that malice is actually cowardice, uh, because it's the unwillingness to have a difficult conversation and talk about what you feel. And so it's really a cowardly act to just hate someone and nurture it and not do anything about it and not find resolution for it. Because how does it feel when you find out that someone hates you? They hate me? And he goes on, slander. And he says, uh, slander is when you speak ill of someone when they're not present or you tear down their character when they're not in the room. Now listen, if... If you're around someone and they're tearing down someone that's not in the room, just understand something about their character that when you're out of the room, it's most likely that they'll have no problem tearing you down either. Just so you know. Paul says get rid of that. Be the person who defends people that aren't in the room. Um, And then he says filthy language. He's not talking about saying a a curse word. He's talking about obscene uh, and abusive language. It's like sexual harassment kinds of language that he's talking about. And, and as guys, we somehow feel like we're justified to say whatever we want about a woman or about a woman's body or how she looks. 
And uh, sometimes we say that just with the other guys. Sometimes we say that to the woman. And if that's in your man code and you think that's how men act, then you have a virus in your man code and you need to reboot your man code because men don't do, real men don't do that. That's cowardly. That's not manliness. That's not macho. That's not, that's not masculine. That's not any of that. Paul says, just get rid of that. Be done with that kind of a thing. And then he goes on, he says, don't lie to each other. And, and then he gives us this list of, he said, now in Christ, he says, there's neither Greek nor Jew. And he gives us all these distinctions. Greek or Jew is national. And he says, uh, now, because uh, the new you is following Christ, then that means you have a different way of seeing other people. And so when you look at a person, you don't look at their nationality as the thing that binds you together. You look at their relationship with God as the thing that binds you together. Because here's what we, this whole immigrant conversation, I'm, again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not making a political statement here. As a follower of Jesus, I have closer ties with someone else who follows Jesus in another country than I do with someone else who happens to be American who does not follow Jesus. Now, I'm not against that person. But Paul says, this is, you, you have new categories. So you go, that's my brother and sister, and they're Syrian, so I love them. Because they belong to my family. And I'd welcome them if they came to my door. That's the attitude of a follower of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, uh, circumcised, uncircumcised, a religious thing. So it was Jews and Gentiles who would be circumcised. or So no, no religious things, no, no re- way I use religion to exclude other people. Or no barbarian or Scythian, that was a, a racial, so no black-white, no, no brown, no yellow, no, no thing that I use to exclude people. Or slave or free, which is economic and social. So whether you wear suits to work or boots to work, uh, it doesn't matter. If you're rich or poor, all those categories in Christ are done away with, they're wiped clean. And now you just say, there's just us, there's just people, there's just human beings. Uh, for Lent, I'm reading Isaiah chapter 58 um, every day. And uh, it's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And Isaiah talks in Isaiah 58 about caring for the poor and caring for the oppressed and caring for people who have nothing and, and loosing the chains of injustice. And it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. And he says, a really interesting phrase in there, he says, and don't turn away from your own flesh. In other words, he says, listen, any human being is a part of you. So stop making categories where you go, there's us and there's them. There's me and the other people. It's just us. It's just, it's just us. And so here's what Paul says. He says, these are the battles that you're going to fight. And a warrior says, I'm going to prepare myself that in my body and in my emotions and in my relationships, I'm going to have to fight these battles, and I'm going to win. Even if I lose one battle, I'm going to pick myself up, and I'm going to win the war no matter what. Here's the third thing, though, a, a warrior outlook or mentality. A warrior is in it to win it. John Owen, who was a pastor in the, in the 1600s, he said, you need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. You need to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. It's almost like you've got to adopt the attitude of a rocket shooting into space and, and you have to fight, figure out a way to get the, the thrust necessary to escape the atmosphere of these things that want to trap you. In fact, I was, I was looking at the space shuttle this week. I was kind of fascinated by it and, and all the things that happened. I think we've got a video that's going to throw up here of the space shuttle getting ready to launch. And I found out some things that at, at, at launch, it, the space shuttle weighs four and a half million pounds. And two minutes into the flight, it's burned half that weight, in, in that fuel, and it produces seven and a half million pounds of thrust. So that in the first minute, it goes 38,000 feet, which is 10,000 feet higher than Everest, and uh, gets out of the atmosphere in eight minutes with this thrust that it generates. 
and it, it burns 20,000 pounds of solid fuel every second, which is the equivalent of a, a backyard swimming pool being drained in just a matter of seconds. So um, here's, here's, let me, let, just watch this. Just watch how this goes. Now suppression water system armed. T minus 10, 9, 8, 7, Here's, here's how that works. The shuttle works because it takes all of its energy and it points it in one direction. Think about your life for a second. I mean, in eight minutes, it leaves the Earth's atmosphere. In just a very short span of time, it makes this huge jump from one atmosphere to another atmosphere. How many of you wish you could go back and take back eight minutes of rage? I do. How many of you wish you could go back and you'd take eight back eight minutes of a choice you made sexually? How, what if instead you said, okay, God, in those eight minutes of temptation and those eight minutes of giving in to my basest desires, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out how to tap into your power so that I leave the atmosphere of that thing. And if it takes me eight minutes, then I'm in a whole different place eight minutes later, right? We're not talking about figuring out something to do a day later. We're talking about that next few minutes, right, if you did that. You have to be in it to win it. You have to be in it to win it. That's exactly what you've got to do. And then this is the last thing that a warrior uh, has in his outlook, her outlook. The warrior knows who's got his back. When you go into battle, you go into battle with a buddy. And the buddy that is in your foxhole is Jesus. He's got your back. He's the one that's looking out for the sniper fire and is going to say, look out. That guy's coming on your six o'clock. Uh, because Paul says, now, 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 the new you, Christ is all and is in all. Like, that's the definition of who you are. You're now a part of Jesus, and he's got your back. He's going to look out for you. Well, um, next week we're going to talk about, well, what do you put on? Because this, kind of this is kind of a heavy subject. And um, we thought, okay, well, how do we, how do we end this? Because, man, this is, this is some stuff that, this is the list that, trips up human beings and has been doing it for a long time. So we thought, what if we took communion and we said, okay, we're going to do this differently. Because here's what communion is. I invite you to take this little package that was on your seat and you can pull back the elements and just hold on to them for a second. Take the bread out and then put it back in the cup and I'll just hold them for a second and I'll explain. Because every time uh, that we take these elements of the Lord's Supper of communion, it's a reminder of our sin. And it's not a reminder that's meant to make us feel awful. It's a reminder to, to let us know that God did something about our sin. Because on the cross, um, Jesus took our brokenness and made it his own and transformed it. In fact, Paul says that what Jesus did on the cross is he took the powers that would beat you and I down and overcome our lives and nailed them to the cross and made a public spectacle of them, like the exposed the bully in the schoolyard and said, you're not going to do that to anybody anymore. And so whenever you take these elements, it's a reminder. 
that Christ's body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you so that you could overcome sin and not be defined by it anymore. So this might be the response that you need to say as, as we do this together. I invite you to take this little piece of bread and break it and remember that Christ's body was broken for you. And you might say, God, I, it was broken for me because I know I've done some broken things and so forgive me. You take that and you eat that. You remember that Christ did that for you. And then you take this cup and you, and you remember that Christ spilled his blood for you so that he could wash all of that clean and you don't have to be defined by what you did. Man, listen, that list is all of us. So if you walk out of here thinking that you got some problem, other people don't, no, that list is everybody. And everybody needs the list washed clean. And the blood of Christ is the, is the symbol that we say, okay, his blood is what, why makes us as white as snow, right? There's this wonderful passage in the Old Testament about though your sins be like scarlet, I'll make them white like snow. It's the blood of Jesus that does that. So I invite you to take this, drink this, and be thankful that Christ's blood was shed for you. Let me pray for you, all right? No one's looking around, so I, I just invite you to do something. If you turn your hands down on your knees and just like this is an act of releasing some things. And I invite you uh, in the quiet, what are the things that you need to let go of? The things on that list that you've had a grip on. And you need to let those things go. Just name them. Say, God, I'm letting it go. God, we let go of our slander. We let go of our, our cowardice in talking to people about how we feel. We let go of our anger. God, we let go of our lust. God, we let go of our sexual immorality. And I invite you to turn your hands over as an act of receiving. And just tell God, say, God, I want to receive from you the forgiveness to wipe that slate clean. And I want to re receive from you the ability to overcome this stuff and not be defined by it anymore. So God, we receive forgiveness today. We receive uh, your washing of our sins. We receive your healing we receive a do-over. We receive what you had to give to us today. So God, we don't want to be defined by any of these things anymore. We don't want this list to be the definition of our life. When people look back on us, we don't want this list to be what they think about us. We want what people think about us and know about us, about us to be you. And we, a different person, a holy person, a whole person, a happy person, a different person. We want that. God, bring that into our life by your power. And today, uh, God, when these things come as temptations, because they do, um, Lord, give us the power to cling to you, to run to the, what you've done for us on the cross and say, that's been wiped clean. I don't have to do that anymore. And give us your resurrection power that, that shoots us out of the atmosphere of these things that would hold us and lifts us beyond 
what we thought was possible. We want that. So bring that power that raised um, Jesus from the dead into our mortal bodies so that we can overcome. We ask for this in your name and all God's people said, amen. We always leave you with a blessing. I invite you to stand with me if you would. And you'll see people around you holding out their hands. It's their way of saying, I want to receive that. If you're comfortable with that, great. If you're not, that's okay too. Just receive this blessing. May you know the love of God for you that overcame everything that would keep you from him. May you know you're sent now to love God and to love people who sometimes try to overcome you <laughs> and to serve the world in Jesus' name. Hug somebody. Tell them you love them. Our prayer team's down front if you need to pray with anybody.